Amen. Bless this praise team this morning. What a great job. Today we're going to wrap up our series that we've been on for several weeks. Uh, actually, since the first of the year, we've been doing a series on prayer, effectual prayer. So we're going to just wrap that up this morning and just really, uh, as I went to prayer this morning, I just really felt a couple of things that maybe a little bit different. I'm the guys back here, or my lady at the I'll veer off course, I'm sure, this morning, the way I'm feeling. But, uh, you know, when you have received the revelation of the grace of God, and, I'm, and it's an ongoing progressive revelation, I understand that. And, uh, but to me, when you receive the revelation of God's grace, it'll change the way you pray. Hallelujah. I mean, you can see that. It changes. We, I've been going around and, and visiting with the community groups. I was with Steve and Patty Lee and their group uh, this past Wednesday, and that's what we were talking about, how it changes the way that we pray. It doesn't, you know, change our relationship other than that our view of God is better, is different. Because, listen, the way you pray is a direct revelation of how you see God, how you view God. And when you believe and past believing, when you know that you are forgiven of sin, when you know that Jesus really did take away sin, when you know that you are righteous 24-7, and it contingent upon you. We're not saying you're righteous in behavior, but you're righteous in your position. Um, now, we care about your behavior. <laughs> when you know that you're accepted by God always, never rejected, when you know that he has already blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, when you know that his divine power has already given us all things, the Bible says, that pertain to life and godliness. When you know that you don't have to beg God to hear your prayer, when you know that you don't have to get a hundred people to pray with you, I'm not saying it's wrong to get a hundred people. When people hear me say something, they go, well, is it wrong to do the opposite of it? They all, all, see, I love you, but that means you're rule-based. All you're trying to do is find out what the rules are and keep them. This ain't about rules. This is about grace. So I'm not saying it's wrong to, to get people to pray. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a prayer chain at your church. I'm not saying that. I, didn't, I never said that. I just said that God is such a good God and a good dad and a good father that you don't have to get a petition together and get 100 people to convince him to listen to your prayer or to act on your behalf. When, when you know that... That, that you don't need to waste any time in prayer trying to convince God to move on your behalf or to pray for blessing or favor because you already have it, then that's going to change the way you pray. Can somebody say amen? amen. <laughs> well, let's just give him praise right now for that. Come on, praise him and bless him. Amen. I better pray and let you be seated because I'm feeling something moving. <laughs> Amen. What's our title even? What we're talking about is, I think we're calling it what? God's grace and prayer? Or prayer and God's grace. I was close. Prayer and God's grace. That's what we're going to talk about. Father, I love you. Thank you for your grace upon our lives. Thank you for Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father, that he has won your favor. Lord, we have it by birth, the new birth, through Christ Jesus. 
We give you praise for it in Christ's name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Can y'all just let me talk to you this morning? Now I have to throw up a bunch of verses and prove everything this morning like a lawyer. But man, when I went to prayer this morning, I just felt things just stirring in me and very, very unusual, uh, you know, for me really to veer off of what I've, you know, sent, I've actually sent them what I was preaching Monday morning, last Monday, and, and uh, first thing, so I was ready to go. But you know, I was thinking about, you know, most of you know I was raised in, in, in uh, and we're all raised differently, but I was raised in Pentecostal church, Pentecostalism, and that may scare you, that may bless you. Uh, now I'm not, I'm thankful for my heritage, and not everything that I was taught was wrong. But I was raised in Pentecostal, and I mean, buddy, they, they run, slap, holler, spit on the first five rows, you know. If you wasn't screaming, you wasn't anointed, all that stuff, you know. And, and they, you know, the way I was, you know, and I, I miss some of that every now and then. And I have been known to take off a lap or two in here once in a while. And there's nothing wrong with that. And you say, well, that's just emotionalism. Well, God's an emotional God, and your emotions came from God. He created you. And so, uh, but I was also raised in wholeness. We was raised in wholeness, wholeness Baptist. Can you imagine those two terms? We was wholeness Baptist. My granddaddy was a wholeness Baptist preacher for 42 years, pastor. And, uh, and so what, what it means to be in wholeness is if it's fun, it's wrong. That's what it means to be in wholeness. If there's any fun with it, it's wrong. They used to have a saying, if it makes you grin, it must be sin. <laughs> I mean, that's the way it was. And, uh, but one thing uh, that I realize as I look back now through the lens of grace is that there was way too much emphasis placed on the devil. And it's like the preachers couldn't preach unless they had a devil to talk about. And I literally grew up in church. I'm not saying they didactically said this. They said this, you know, outright. But I am saying that my understanding was that we, we got two beings. We got God and the devil. And maybe God has a little bit more power than the devil. And these two guys are, these spirits, these, you know, God and the devil are fighting it out in warfare. And I'm caught in the crossfire. And, and I, I said we'd have Wednesday night, a lot of times, uh, testimony night. And it should have been called Praise the Devil Night. Because that's mostly, as a young boy coming up church, I would hear people stand up and talk for, you know, five, ten minutes about what the devil said, what the devil had done all week. And then right at the end, they said, well, y'all would pray that I'll hold true to the end. They'd start off by saying, I want y'all to know that I want to give God praise that I'm saved, sanctified, and full of the Holy Ghost. That's what they would say. And then they would bust into a long litany of about what the devil was doing and how the devil had been on their back all week and what the devil had told them. I never remember hearing anybody stand up and say what God told them. But they would just say, I'm, y'all pray I'm hanging on. I'm hold, did I hold true? You know, and it was just like a, just a, just a, just a fight like that. But I'm so glad that through grace, I realized that I didn't have to get up this morning and try to defeat the devil. And I'm not going to get up in the morning and try to defeat the devil because he's already been defeated. He's already been thoroughly, completely, totally, and eternally defeated at the cross by the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and so the victory has already been won. So you, you, you don't have to do it. I mean, the Bible tells us clearly that when Jesus went to heaven, he sat down. And he didn't sit down because he was tired. He sat down because he said it is finished. 
he was finished. So he went and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And I don't find any place in the Bible where he ever stands up. And I'm going to tell you something. You don't have a problem in your life that can make Jesus have to stand up to fix it. Now, I know the theologians just thought of a place where Jesus stood up. There's only one time in the New Testament that Jesus ever I see him standing up. Because the Bible said that he, 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 when he ascended, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And Ephesians says, now we are seated with him in heavenly places because we are in Christ Jesus. We are seated with him in the heavenlies. So he sat down, not because he was tired, but he sat down because it's finished. The battle has already been won. The war is over. And he is seated. And one time, they, in Acts, he stands up. And that was when they were stoning Stephen, this preacher of the gospel. They were stoning him. And so when they were stoning him, then that's the only time I see Jesus stand up. And he wasn't standing up because he didn't do something at the cross that left him deficient in an area. He was standing up because if in this life, because Stephen was being stoned, yet even though he was being stoned, he was, he was praising and magnifying and glorifying God. Listen, if you can go through life's struggles and tests and trials, and you can go through and take the beating that the world tries to put upon you, but yet you still got to praise God in your mouth, you can still give the Lord praise, you can still exalt his name and praise God, I want to tell you what Jesus will do. Jesus won't just sit there because everybody knows you can't praise while you're sitting down. Jesus had to get up where he could get his praise on. He's going to give some praise to his father because the victory was in Stephen. That they couldn't even stone it out of him. They couldn't even make the praise, you know, not be in his mouth. The Bible said his face was like an angel's face. That'll make Jesus get up just to get his praise on. He wasn't getting up because he left something undone. He, he, he had supplied everything. The victory has been won. The war is over. We're, so I don't have to defeat the devil. He's already been defeated. I, I, I don't have to do it. Well, you say, well, why, why are we having a struggle then? Why am I struggling? We're not, we're, we're not, we're, we're not struggling to win because it's already been won. When Jesus said it is finished, he really meant that. And so when it is finished, it's like, like Da Vinci or Michelangelo, these great artists. These, you know, it would be like you going up to the Mona Lisa and says, with your paintbrush, I, I'm just going to, you know, add my little bit to it. Well, you're going to ruin the painting because it is finished. It's perfect. It needs nothing. Jesus said it is finished. It's completely, thoroughly, completely finished, eternally done. There's nothing for you. Do you understand the arrogance on our behalf to try to add to the finished work of the cross? Can you comprehend the arrogance upon our behalf? You know, and I was raised in, in, in Pentecost to believe that we were saved by grace, and I never heard anything about grace other than just you were saved by grace, but then I felt like I was kept by my own living right. And that's why so many people struggled like that and just struggled because they, the rules were impossible to keep because it was mixture of law and grace. And so it's taken me years of unlearning things that I thought I knew. And some people don't want to do that because that means you have to admit you ain't know everything. And what your grandma taught you was wrong. And, and this, it takes humility to, to let go of some things. And so people that resist the message of God's grace are people that just, were, or really it's just pride. It's just arrogance. Because they don't want to let go and admit, well, I did, you know, I got some things wrong. We absolutely did.
We absolutely did. And we're still learning. We're not saying we've arrived at some place of perfection. And I hadn't arrived, but I sure have left the station. <laughs> I ain't where I was, I'll tell you that. I'm on a journey still, but I have left. I have left law. I fought the law, and the law won. That's the title of a sermon coming soon. Legalism and all that stuff, man. But the victory, so you say, well, what are we, what, what, what's, the, what's the battle then? To occupy, not to win. Jesus didn't say win till I come back. He said occupy till I come back. Occupy. The, in, in Iraq, the war is over. But there's military still there. Why? Because they are occupying what somebody else won. See, we are occupying in the earth the victory that Jesus has already won. And so we're here now as ambassadors for Christ to enforce the victory that's been won. That's why once the, the war is over and they have, you know, declared victory, then they still leave an occupying army there. Why? Because there are people out there that will still move back in on that ground and try to retake what they've been discharged from. Y'all ain't hearing me this morning. There, there, there is the enemy will trespass. He is a liar. He's a thief and he's a robber. And just because you put up your Christian sign in the name of Jesus, no trespassing, don't mean he'll honor that. You're going to have to not only put up the sign, but you're going to have to put up a resistance. Resist the devil. You've got to resist his advances. Resist his lies. Resist the things that he brings against you. In fact, I'm feeling Pentecostal this morning. You've got to resist. You've got, you, you got to do more. You can't be passive, man-be-pandy religion that's just standing around, you know, whatever will be, will be, because the enemy will run over you. God gave you the authority. God gave you the victory. God gave you the keys to the kingdom. Now it's up to you. You have to do something. You have to say something out of your mouth. You have to resist. You have to speak the word of God. So we're, so we're, we're occupying ground that Jesus has already taken. So we're occupying it. And so we're, we're standing in the victory. That's why the Bible says to Ephesians, having done all to stand. Notice it doesn't say having done all to try to advance. You're not having to advance. You're not having to take ground from the enemy because Jesus Christ has already taken all of his ground. Amen. He has thoroughly, eternally, completely, totally and forever defeated the enemy. You believe that? That's what it means when Jesus said it's finished. And so you say, well, if Satan is defeated then, then what, 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 you know, what's the problem? Where is his domain? Where is his dominion? Do you know that, that, that Jesus, that God, who became Christ in the flesh... He could not save us from heaven. He had to leave heaven to save us. He couldn't stay in heaven sitting on the throne and save us. Why? Because he had given the earth to the children of men, it says in Psalms. The heavens, even the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. He gave Adam dominion over this earth. He really did give the earth away. He didn't pretend to give it away. He gave it to Adam. Adam gave it to Satan. He lost his dominion. So in order for God to save us, he had to leave where he was and come to where we were. And he had to become what we were so he could save us. He had to, the word had to become flesh. And so he gave us the victory that he won in the flesh. 
as the man of God. So he, he gave us to it. You say, well, wh- wh- why, why, all the, why all the struggle? Why all the problems? Because Satan still has a dominion. He's not non-existent anymore. He's not just completely gone away. So where does he reside? Where does he have dominion? The Bible says that he is the prince of what? Darkness. The Bible has a lot to say about darkness. Darkness is not, in the Bible, is not a room with the lights switched off. Hear me now. Darkness in the Bible is a spiritual dimension. Darkness, the Bible says that, that God's word is light. Revelation. In Psalms it says the entrance of thy word brings light. So, so light is, is the illumination of the word or the truth of God's word, of the word of God. And darkness is the absence of that. So, so, so we see that. So darkness literally means ignorance. Now don't get offended because I use the word ignorance because ignorance just means you hadn't been taught yet. I didn't say you were stupid. Stupid means you don't have the capacity to learn something. And that should offend you. So ignorance just means you haven't been taught something. God said in Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So, so, so darkness is a lack of knowledge and, and, and darkness is ignorance of the revelation of the truth that will set you free. See, uh, God has called us, it says. The Bible says God has called us out of darkness. Is that what it says? And, 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 he's, and he's brought us in or called us into not just his light. I love the New Testament. He said he's called us into his marvelous light. God's light's marvelous. Grace is marvelous. The word of God is is marvelous. The revelation of Jesus is marvelous. Healing, salvation is marvelous. Come on, somebody. It's, it's marvelous. He said, see, I love it that God didn't just call you out of something, but he, he brought you into something else. C- can you see that? Where, where, where is Satan's power then? Listen to me. Where is Satan's power for the believer or the unbeliever? It's in the things that you don't know. He traffics in that area. So if you are ignorant in the area of healing, you'll battle sickness all the days of your life because he will traffic in that area. If you don't believe that he moves in your marriage, then you'll have marriage problems all the years of your marriage because he'll traffic in and out of that area. And whatever, if you don't believe that God helps you in the financial arenas of your life. See, listen, when I married that Beautiful woman, my wife, almost 37 years ago now, in July, she got my heart. And when she got my, that's about all I had to give her, really, but at that time. But when she got my heart, let me tell you what she got. When she got my heart, she got everything. When she got my heart, she got my wallet. Mm, I done took the offering. You ain't got to be nervous now. <laughs> Imagine me t- talking about how much I love her and adore her, but yet I don't give to her. 
craziest thing I ever seen is people talking about they love God and they don't honor God with tithing and giving. God ain't got your heart because he ain't got your wallet. Don't shine me down when I'm preaching good. Really? She's got my time. She's got my wallet. She's got my affection. She's got my attention. She's got everything if she has my heart. That's what God wants is our heart. See, God called us out of that place of darkness. The Bible talks about, it, it has so many verses, man. If I, if I pulled those up now, I mean, so many verses in the New Testament about darkness. John 3, 19 talks about, this was the problem. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The Bible says that those whom set in darkness, they set in darkness. Now they've seen great light. But they said that those that saw great light comprehended it not. That means they saw light but didn't get it. They heard truth but didn't receive it. Come on. But God's called us out of. And so Satan's greatest plan against the church is to keep you ignorant of the revelation of what Jesus Christ really accomplished at the cross. And this is what the whole thing about grace does, is it reveals and unveils the finished work of Calvary and Jesus on the cross. It lets you know what was accomplished. And you're not spending time in the area of wonder and doubt, praying for things that you already have. You're not wasting time. That's what we've learned in this series. We're not wasting time praying for things that Jesus has already given us. We're not asking God to go with us from this place because he's not a liar never leave us. We're not asking God for the anointing. We have the anointing. What's the struggle then? I'm not praying for peace, but I am struggling to walk in that peace. This is where the struggle comes in. My struggle is not with having won the victory. See, I'm not struggling to have love. Because God is love. And if I've got God, I've got all the love that there is. And it's perfect love. And his perfect love casts out all fear. So guess what? As a believer, when I get afraid, I'm not occupying in his perfect love. Therefore, I'm afraid. When I'm anxious and I'm worried, then I am not. It's not that he didn't provide the victory. It's not that he hasn't blessed me. But see, some Christians are praying for God's favor. They're praying for God's blessing. We we pray for favor in the sense that we can increase in favor, but we're not praying from the position that we don't have in him. The Bible said Jesus grew in favor with God and man. Where we need favor is with men. We're praying for favor with men. If somebody's going to hire you, you're going to have to have favor with that person. If somebody's going to promote you, you're going to have to have favor with that person. If somebody's going to give you a raise, you're going to have to have favor. If you don't have favor, you ain't getting a raise. If somebody's got 100 employees and they recognize you and you stick out, that means you got favor. You're not the source of it. God is. But God's given you that favor. You grow in favor. You grow in knowledge. You grow in wisdom. But it's because of what you occupy. But God's already put all that in your spirit. Are you with me? So, so my struggle today is to walk in the revelation. That's what the Bible calls walking in the spirit. So a believer can walk in the flesh. Flesh is not demonic. Flesh means the word flesh is, is the Greek word sarx. S-A-R-X, sarx. 
And it literally means carnivious, carnal, or carnivore, flesh. And so it doesn't mean that you, you know, it doesn't mean, you know, filth sin. It just means that you're depending on your own five senses. You're depending on your own wisdom. You're depending on your own strength. You have a natural mind, and then you have the mind of Christ. You have two computers in one head. But don't pray for the mind of Christ. Pray that God will help you yield to that mind, to, to draw from the mind of Christ, the wisdom of Christ, the knowledge of Christ, to walk and occupy the peace that Jesus, Jesus said, I've already, the peace that I give. He didn't say the peace I'm going to give you. Let me tell you something. Jesus left the earth, but Christ never did. Christ means what? The anointed one. The anointing. That's why the Bible says, set your affections. Colossians uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 2, I believe. Set your affections. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on what's above. The Bible said that when Jesus was ascended, it's, the angels didn't say Jesus Christ is leaving. They said, this same Jesus that you see is now taken from you shall also come back again. But Jesus left, but Christ didn't. Jesus, do you understand what I'm saying by that? Jesus left, but the, the Christos, the anointing he put on the inside of you. That's why I don't pray for the anointing. I don't waste any time on Sunday morning asking God to anoint me to preach. Now, that's arrogant. No, I just know the word. And I decided to believe what Paul wrote three times in the New Testament that I have received the anointing. I have the anointed one on the inside of me. And so I do pray and ask God to help me to yield to that anointed one, to yield to that anointing that God's put on the inside of me. That's what I'm doing with this message. This ain't nothing. I, yesterday, I didn't know I was going to talk about this. Last night when I went to bed, I didn't know I was going to talk about this. But this morning, I spent some time with him, and so I yielded. There's two cars trying to merge onto the interstate. One of you got to yield. <laughs> you need to learn to yield. Save a lot of wrecks in our life if we would yield to God. We, we, if we would yield to his direction, yield to his way, yield to him. Stop trying to win in your marriage and yield to the Lord. I can't wait, and I'm not just trying to make you feel bad if you ain't going. But what God's put on my heart is one theme for these little few hours I'll have with you. And he says that we walk together in the grace of life, that we share, husband and wife, in the grace of life. That is the theme that God's put in my heart to help you to know what that is, that you walk together. Now, that's that same verse that all that anybody gets out of that is talking about husbands and honoring your wife so that your prayers ain't hindered. Boy, was I beat up with that one. I've heard so many men beat up with that one in church by preachers. Like, man, because you, you and your wife and y'all ain't got everything, you know, just right. So God ain't listening. You know your prayers, sir. That's why your business is failing. That's why you lost this. That's why this. Because God ain't hearing your prayer. God ain't heard your prayer since the last time y'all fussed. That's the way it was taught. Y'all know it's true. And said, right there, see, the, the, the you know, devil's hindering your prayer, and you can't get a prayer through, so we need to knock a hole in the heaven so we can. It's just ridiculous. Simplify real simple. Let's give you a revelation on that since I brought it up. How is a man's prayers hindered when he's not in right relationship with his wife, when he's not honoring her as the weaker vessel? And it, weaker don't mean stupid. Notice it says, not the weak vessel, but the weaker. Here comes Revelation. You weak too. She's just the weaker. We got two weak ones. Weak husband 
weaker wife as far as the physical is talking about that aspect. What it's really talking about is honor her. I've told you this before many years ago. Men are like thermoses. You ever seen a Coleman thermos? Can you find one that's been outused that don't have a dent in it on the construction side? You can drop them, kick them, stomp them, and still, you know, drink a good hot cup of coffee out of them. That's the way men are. But a woman is like a goblet, like a crystal glass goblet. You can't kick her around. You can't handle her like you do a thermos. God, that's what God's talking about. You honor your wife. Now, if you're not honoring one another, if you're not submitted to God and to one another, then let me tell you something. Let me give you a shocking revelation, dude, why your prayers are hindered. Well, she ain't going to want to pray with you if you're mean. It's simple. It's got nothing to do with Satan. It's got nothing to do with the heavens blocked over you. It's got nothing to do. God's just saying that the power of a husband and wife in unity praying is awesome. And when you're mad at one another and angry with one another and don't like one another, although you might say, I love you, but I don't like you right now, I don't want to see your ugly face. <laughs> then guess what you won't do? You're not going to pray together. Because to join hands or join hearts with your wife, your spouse, and pray, I mean, you can't do that if you hate each other. You could, might do it, I guess, if you could grit your teeth and struggle through it, preach there, pray together. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know. You hear in the church, well, that prayer didn't get higher in your head. It don't have to. All it's got to do is drop in your heart. That's where God lives. Did you hear me? See, I know a lot of you think still God lives out there in the galaxy beyond, you know, out there, way out there somewhere. And that whole thought system is just terribly wrong. Where did the Bible say Jesus would take up his abode? Right there. So that's why you bow your head so you can look him right in the eyes when you're talking to him. Because that's where God is. He's not out there somewhere. And that's another reason you don't have to poke a hole in the heaven. You might have to poke a hole between your mouth and right here, but as far as you got, you don't even have to do that. God's there. You're in Christ. Christ is in you. It's divine mystery. But you don't have to get up every morning. I got to beat the devil today. I got to. No, you don't. All you got to do is occupy and walk in the victory that's already been won through Christ Jesus. So Satan's power then is in what we don't know. The areas that enemy has kept us ignorant. You know, there's a big, well, let me just say it like this. There is a difference between deliverance and freedom. In the Pentecostal church I was raised in, you know, everybody would want to come to the altar and get deliverance. They want to be delivered from this, delivered from that, delivered from this, delivered from that. And, and really, these were born-again believers, but yet they were still wanting to be delivered. And it's an oxymoron, really, because you've already been delivered. It's like a baby that's been delivered. You had a delivery. The baby has changed locations. It was concealed. It was in darkness. Now it's in light. Come on, let me use this. So, so we've had a delivery now. The baby has been delivered. Okay? Now, it'd be like for that baby to be praying to be delivered again. So for you as a believer, to pray for deliverance is to say you hadn't been delivered. And it's to say Jesus didn't do it all. And he left some things undone and not finished, which again is arrogance. Are you with me? It was for freedom that Christ Jesus set us free. You hear this phrase all the time. I understand. I'm not trying to just trap everybody in their words, but words do count. Words do matter. They said the truth will set you free. The truth will not set you free. I might even make that a chapter in this book I'm writing on miss. The truth will not set you free. It's not, the Bible never says the truth will set you free. 
The Bible says you shall know the truth. And that truth that you know will set you free. It'll make you free. But it's only truth that you know. The word has to become flesh in you. In other words, it's the word incarnation. In, carnivious, flesh. So the incarnation of Christ is God packaged himself inside a carnivore, inside flesh. The word, John 1.17, became flesh and dwelt among us. So the word that you hear preached must be mixed with faith and you must believe it so strongly that it becomes part of you. That way nothing will ever, no trial, test, tribulation, persecution, uh, nothing will take that revelation from you. But listen, if because the Bible says that when the word of the Lord is sown, the birds of prey immediately come to steal the word, the seed, which is the word of God, that was sown in your heart. The devil knows that if he can take that revelation out of your heart, that is the seat of change. All change is internal that it's real change. And so he wants to take it out of your heart, but he likes to leave it in your head. If the enemy can steal the revelation out of your heart, because with the heart, Romans 10, the man believes. With the heart is where the place of real faith comes from, not the head. So if the enemy can take that out of your heart, but yet you can still pass a test if we give it to you and recite it. But you're coming out of your head and not your heart. And that way when a trial comes, you will fold up like a $2 suitcase. You'll be defeated because you don't really believe it because that word has not become incarnate in you. And the devil will wrestle it right out of you. The Bible says that when the seed of the word is sown, immediately the birds of prey, the fowls of the air, come to steal that word out of the, that was sown in the heart. While I'm preaching, the enemy is trying to get you not believe it. He's trying to get you not to believe it. All kind of things that Christians do. I was raised on me. I just plead the blood. It's going to get quiet on this one. I just plead the blood. I plead the blood of Jesus. Where is that at in the Bible? Where is that in the New Testament? Pleading the blood. How many's heard the phrase, I plead the blood of Jesus over something? Hold your hand up. Now you can put them down. I won't ask you how many of them hands that you've done it. I'll admit that I have many numerous times. And you might say, well, don't be, I mean, I've done it and it worked. <laughs> That's just called out just God's blessing, your ignorance. You don't have to plead the blood. Jesus has done shed his blood. You just declare that what he accomplished was real. You know, I used to hear preachers get up all the time. I just plead the blood of Jesus over the service, and I just bind. There would not be a devil nowhere within my... Listen, if, if there was no devils in no service, there wouldn't be no people in it. <laughs> the building would be empty. I remember years ago, people arguing, can a, can a Christian have a demon? I believe Christian. And just arguing about that. I mean, and they, the people always ask me, Brother Dale, can a Christian have a demon? I say, all right, if he wants one, he can have one. I would say, you can have whatever you ask for in Jesus' name. I don't know why you'd want one, but if you want one, I guess you could have one. I've seen some demonized Christians. I've seen, the, the Bible, when it talks about 
demonic and demons, it's always the word demonized, harassed, tormented, troubled by the enemy. Not possessed. You don't own nothing, but he'll sure try to trouble you to get you to doubt what God's accomplished. So there's a difference between deliverance and freedom. Listen, when Moses brought God's people out of Egyptian bondage, out of Egypt, they were delivered, but they were not free. When you got born again, if you can receive this, you were delivered, but you were not free. Not totally. Anybody besides me have uh, gained another level of freedom since the day that you got born again? Can I see a witness? Look at all the hands. See, that's, we were delivered out of darkness, but yet we didn't have freedom in some areas that we were ignorant of. I didn't know about some things. I didn't know about the Spirit and some things. See, if you're not careful, anybody remember a guy in the Bible named Mephibosheth? You get five points for being able to pronounce his name. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, who made a covenant with David. And so when Saul died in the battle and Jonathan died with him, those people back at the palace under Saul's reign in Israel had been lied to by Saul all the time and said, if David ever comes, he's going to kill every one of you. He's a mean man. He's a wicked man. He, you know, he's going to make you go to Africa and be a missionary if you get saved. I'm talking about David, but I ain't talking about David. See, that's, the devil has lied to so many people. Well, if you get saved, you're going, you won't be able to have no more fun. If you get born again, you got to give up this, and you got to give up that, and you won't be able to go do this. You won't be able to go do And say, so you have to quit your dancing. And you know you love to dance. You can just dance right on, baby. Just change partners and keep on dancing. I'd like for you to go to Israel. Ask me more about it. Go to Israel and tell them people they can't dance. That's a whole Jewish, the whole thing, the Hebraic thing is dancing before the Lord. That's where the twirling and all that comes. I mean, that's the word of God. God says twice in the, in the ending of Psalm, Psalm 149 and 50, let them praise me in the dance for it pleases me. Yeah, just praise God. Give God praise. Wor worship God. And, and so when you got born again, you were delivered. But the freedom is coming as the revelation comes. Mephibosheth, if you don't remember the story, he... He's a guy that when he was only five years old, and, and so they heard that Jonathan and, and Saul had been killed on the battlefield. And so as soon as that, they heard that, the, the maid, the, care, uh, the babysitter, the caretaker, whatever, for Mephibosheth, she was told, David's, David and his army is marching and coming this way. So they panicked. Everybody in the palace panicked. And so she's holding this five-year-old uh, son, Mephibosheth, running out of the palace with him. And in that, in that uh, carelessness to get out uh, from fear, she falls with him in her arms. And when she fell with him, maybe even fell upon him, but anyway, his, both of his legs were broken in that fall. Ain't like she could run him to the orthopedic surgeon or call 911 in those days. So that injury that he received, not of his own making, not because that he deserved nothing, but because of the fear of this one that was coming, they ran from that one and caused themselves great harm. Anybody getting the revelation? Many of us spent years running from God who was coming to give us life, 
who was coming to save us, but the devil had lied to us and we were fearful from God and we ran like they did in the garden and we hid from God. God didn't hide from Adam. Adam hid from God. God came looking for him. No, no he'd sinned. And so, so she, he was crippled and so from then on he couldn't walk. You, you ever had people that were charged with responsibility to care for you? To drop that responsibility? To drop you, literally? And in their dropping of their responsibility, they hurt you? You ever had people that promised you they'd care for you, but they hurt you? They dropped you? They divorced you? They forsook you? They left you? They maybe even physically injured you? Boy, the pain of that is tough. Because you're just five. You're, you're just five years old. What do you know at five? That's my grandson's age. He's five. My granddaughter's age. Five. You're just five. And for somebody to hurt you, so for somebody to come in your bedroom and molest you, an adult when you're five years old, do horrible things to you, and, and, and you grow up thinking it's your fault, why why'd they pick me? They pick me because of the foul world. And men have the freedom of will, and they can choose that freedom to do horrible, horrendous things. Because earth was given to the sons of men. Doesn't mean God ain't around. Don't mean God don't care. It breaks his heart. But when people hurt you, I'm going to tell you what, God will never leave you in that hurtful situation. See, if we don't understand the difference between deliverance and freedom, what we will be is we'll be delivered, we'll be geographically in a different place, but we will be spiritually in the same place we were. In other words, when, when Mephibosheth fled, he became a grown man, young man, and he's living in a place called Lodibar. The place, the word in Hebrew, Lodibar, means a barren wilderness. He's an heir. He, he, was, he was to be the king. Now he's living in squabble. David finds out when he becomes the king of Israel, first thing he wants to know is, is there anybody descendants left alive from Saul's lineage that we can do good to, that we can bless? They said there's only one that we know of, king, and his name is Mephibosheth, and he lives in a distant place called Lodibar. David said, go get him and bring him to me. Can you imagine the day that Mephibosheth heard those chariots of Israel with that star of David on his side? pulling up at his house and seeing those soldiers approach his door, he couldn't run anyway. He's crippled. Those soldiers come in, and I don't know what they said, the Bible silent, but they took him. Maybe they didn't say anything because they probably would not have because the king didn't like them to talk. He just said, bring him. So he thinks he's coming to his execution. He thinks that he's been found out and he's a descendant of Saul, was his granddaddy, and so now he's going to be killed like his dad died on the battlefield. And so they bring him to the palace. And when they bring him to the palace, do you know what he does? The Bible says he falls on the floor, prostate. God's trying to get you delivered and bring freedom, but even though he's in a different geographic location, he's on the floor. David says, listen, don't you be afraid. I mean you no harm. In fact, he said, you know what? I'm here to restore everything that was ever given to your family. All that belonged to Jonathan 
has been sitting waiting on you. I've just been waiting for you to come. All his lands, all his fields, his bank accounts, all his money, everything is yours, son. It's all yours. You've been restored. Pick him up. Set him at my table. He said, from this day forward, you will always sit at the king's table. You know what you do when you're sitting at the king's table? You got a beautiful tablecloth, you can imagine. And that tablecloth is covering your crippledness. Nobody sitting at the table around you even knows you're crippled because you're not crippled in their sight no more because you're sitting and dining at the king's table. He spread a table before you in the very presence of your enemies. Come on, somebody give him praise. When you mix faith, when your prayer is mixed with faith, I I quickly just want to end it with this. There's so many things I would love to tell you. I've looked back over things in my life, and I've, you know, I've evangelized for six years in that Pentecostal movement, in that church, uh, Pentecostal, but I preached in all kinds of churches. That was unusual for me, and I'd never called anybody and say, hey, can I come preach? They just called me. So I preached in Baptist and Methodist, Assemblies of God, Church of God, Foursquare Wholeness, uh, uh, Charismatic. I mean, I'm just all of them. I preached in all of them. No six, and I learned an awful lot of stuff. And I apologize for all to those people that listened to me preach those six years, preaching a mixture of law and grace. But I was doing the best of what I needed to do. I remember being in that Pentecostal denomination, though, preaching one night. I'll, I'll leave the towns and Billy Ray and Pam sitting here. My elder and his wife, they would know some of these things, uh, these stories, because they're from that, some of those areas. But um, I, uh, I uh, was preaching one night at this Pentecostal church, and I got up to preach, and there was a lady sitting in the back, and she was sitting uh, back to my right. And, and, and I, I can't explain all this stuff, but the gifts of the Spirit are real. And God illuminated her face to me. She was sitting by herself. And as I approached the pulpit, I heard the Lord say to me, and I heard him speak to me and said, pray for her now. So I just looked out and I said, ma'am, and got her attention. And, and she said to me, and I said, yes. I said, would you, would you come, please? I, I'd just like to pray for you up front. Would that be okay? And so she got up. You ever done that and people didn't come? Yeah, that's pretty rough. I had a pastor's wife one night, wouldn't come. So I'm a, yeah, I've done that. <clears throat> but uh, so when she's walking down, to the front, what, what little Dale is doing in the inside, in my inside voice, is I say, Father, please reveal to me what, why you want me to pray for her. Because I don't know why, you know what the deal is. This is called faith, y'all. So she's walking down, and, you know, and so this is my plan. If she gets down right in my feet, and there, I mean, you know, standing in front of me, and I don't know what's happening, I'm just going to pray for her in a general good old prayer. Yea, the Lord love thee, my child. Because he do. And that's true. <laughs> On the way down, as she stood before me, I heard the Lord say one word, infirmity. So I looked at the lady. I said, the Lord tells me you have an infirmity. And I said, that infirmity leads you now in the name of Jesus. I laid my hand upon her. I commanded. I said, Lord, whatever this infirmity is, I commanded to go from her body now in the name of Jesus. She didn't fall down. Nothing wrong with that. She didn't scream. She didn't jerk a couple. Of, and that's fine. I'm not making fun. But there was no reaction. I felt nothing. Five senses, still same feelings. She goes back to her seat. Now, in the Pentecostal world, that means nothing didn't happen. Am I telling the truth, man? Now, if she had a fell to the floor and we had to get the catchers out, then we'd have had what they call revival would have broke out. 
But nothing happened as well we could see. She goes back to her seat. I've never seen the young lady. I don't know nothing about her. A few weeks after I closed out that revival at that Pentecostal church that was part of the denomination I was in, I had a call from a pastor. He identified himself, and he was pastor of a Methodist church. He said, would you come for revival? Come preach revival for us. And I'm thinking, you know, I, I don't really know you. but So while I'm on the phone with him, I just was praying. In the in, inside voice, I said, Father, do I go or not? I didn't take care of me. And so I heard the Lord said, go. And I said, well, brother, I'll come. I said, it'll be this, you know, uh, before I can get there, but I'll come. And he said, I want you to start on Sunday night and go through Friday night. Y'all remember those kind of revivals when they last that long? And so, so, uh, so I go. I carried one of the elders with me, and, uh, and I went to this church, and it was seated on the front row, waiting, and I never even had met the pastor. I just knew his name. He walked over and introduced himself to me. He said, Brother Young, we're glad to have you here tonight. I appreciate you coming. We're looking forward to this meeting. I praise God. So they do very traditional. They're singing out of Burgundy or Greenback hymns, whichever one you like, same songs in both. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not knocking that. And there's some of that that I do miss, believe it or not, you know. Not all those songs are stupid or wrong or whatever. Amazing Grace is still a great song, okay? And so they sung, choir sung. Preachers are sitting down on the throne chairs up front, you know, while that's going on and stuff. And, um, you know, filing their fingernails or whatever. <clears throat> and then when the choir got through, <laughs> then, you know, we had prayer requests or something. And, and, then, and then so we took the offering, and then we had special singing. That was kind of the order thing, and I was used to that. So a young lady takes the piano to my right. I'm sitting on this side on the pew with one of my elders that had traveled over with me. And, uh, and so a young lady comes to the piano, and she says, before I sing, I want to, uh, you know, just give a little word of testimony. And, and I, I didn't really connect right then, but I th she looked familiar, but I see a lot of people. So she said, I was in a revival service a few weeks ago, some weeks ago. And this is her church, this Methodist church. She said, y'all all know what I was praying for. And she said, uh, the doctors had told me that I had breast cancer. And that they were going to take me in, you know, to do the biopsies and the surgery and so forth. And, but the doctors had already told me, their words were, it doesn't look good, sis. So she, I didn't know all this. So she's telling this from the back behind the piano. And so she says, and I was in the meeting where Brother Dale called me out. And he laid his hands on me and the Lord healed me that night. And the church just bursted into clapping and praise and whatever. Then I had revelation come to me. I knew why I'm in a Methodist church. Because, see, when miracles and things are happening, people don't care what your denomination is. And so I knew that that's why I had got the invitation, because this is one of their girls. This is one of their women in the church. This is family. And when your family is hurting or, or you know, been given that diagnosis, the whole church, this is a loving church, cares about her. So they'd been praying for her for, you know, who knows how long or whatever. And you know what it did with her? Listen to me. She mixed not only her prayer, but she mixed it with faith. So she actually went out of her comfort zone, and she went to a Pentecostal meeting. Now, I don't know if she even heard them. It's not about me. None of this is ever about me. But she went there, and so God met her at her faith. So she's there, and she's out of her comfort zone. She's in a strange church, but she's desperate, whatever you want to call it. But she needs a miracle. And she can't just sit at the house and wait for one to knock on her door. So she's out asking, seeking, knocking. So she's sitting there, and God sees that faith, and he moves upon me to pray for her. All, all it did is her faith moved upon her. You know, her faith moved her, and, and, and she began to believe for the unbelievable because it was not routine in her church for them to pray for the sick. In her church, in that denomination, it said, if you speak in tongues, we take your membership from you. 
And yet here she sits in a Pentecostal service where people are speaking in tongues all the time. In fact, too much in that church. And so, I mean, you don't understand that. Just, But, so, but you know what? Now listen, I would, I would say that that church, that Methodist church was the second greatest revival that I've ever had the privilege of being part of. Because before I got there, those people had faith and expectancy. And what's broken, breaking my heart as a minister today is I have been in those rivers. I have drank from that cup. And we could be doing it right now this Sunday morning if we had the same level of faith and expectancy among our hearts. And, I, and listen, listen, and I do not say that to condemn anybody. That week was just tremendous. It really was. Every night. Crowds kept growing. And I remember Wednesday night of that week, while I was ministering, the Lord spoke to me to pray for the pastor. I never even had a meal with him. Never even had a conversation. I was just greeting him at the church. Hey, you know, brother, glad to see you. And so the pastor, I didn't know that was bivocational. You watch me. He works a full-time job in pastors. I called him down front, and I said, uh, brother, I just feel like the Lord wants me to pray for you. And, and I prayed for him for healing, not knowing what it was. I just felt there was such a release of healing. You can imagine, because this woman... Her faith, just like what Mima was doing, it just released such an expectancy for healings and miracles. So uh, the Lord moved on me to pray for pastor. I laid hands on this Methodist pastor. It, it so shocked me. I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. It so shocked me. He fell flat of his back with no catcher. I mean, I'd have got a catcher if I'd have thought we were going to have some of that at the Methodist church. If it's really God, you don't need a catcher. So here, when he hit, his back hit the floor, like he shot him, loud out of his mouth, he's praying and speaking in tongues, out loud. Now, my understanding for some other people afterwards was that was the first time they ever heard him do that. Now, I don't know if he was a closet Holy Ghost tongue-filled <laughs> speaking Methodist or he got it in that moment. It's not my business. But when he, and then when he hit the floor, I'm talking about, it's like you just throwed five gallons of gas out there and throw the match right behind it, and, and, and it's all them Methodist people, they have in revival. It always begins with the leadership. He finally gets up, and he walks over to me and takes the mic. He's the pastor. He can have it anytime he wants to. So he takes the mic. I stand off to the side. He's just a weeping. And he looks at his congregation, and he says, Church, I need to repent to every one of you. He said, I've not, this is his words, his exact words. He said, I've not done with the healing message what I should have done with it. What he's saying was he didn't preach on it. He said, but some, he said, what all of you don't know in here, only one or two, is the doctors have been having a lot of health problems lately. And the doctors told me that I got to give up either the church or my job because it's killing me. And I can't do both and the stress and the effect in my body. And he said, but I know tonight the Lord's healed me. And, when he, and he was just weeping through all that. If when he started that, people in his, his, his own people, his sheep of his fold, if you, they all started crying too. And they come up there and started hugging him. <laughs> they was hugging one another. And I'm just sitting over there watching God, like, go God, you know. Just go God. I was in another city and had already started our church, I think, at that point that I had. And little, little small church in a little small town, Pentecostal church, real small town. And I look back on the back row on this side here, only two sides. Real, there's probably 40 total people there. 
and I watched a pastor walking, or, or I didn't know he was a pastor. I remember one time as a young man at my church of God that this guy came and preached a revival. And so I looked and I saw him and I recognized him because he's a real tall guy. And I remember him, you know, and, uh, and, and so he was sitting on the back row, he and his wife. And I was so nervous. I'm like, this guy's a professional pro preacher, like, dude. I didn't know where he was at, what he was doing. But he, what's he doing in my meeting with these, this little church out here in the woods and 40 people? And it made me so nervous preaching in front of him. Really, I'm just being real. Got to the end of the service, and the Lord spoke to me and said, pray for his wife. So I worked for somebody. So I said, sister, uh, you know, would you, would you come? And so here she comes. And I said, brother, would you just come down with your wife? So she comes down to the front. And when she stood in front of me, now these, I'm not trying to say I'm nothing, but the gifts are real. And once in a while, whenever God, I can't, I can't, I can't flip the switch. I can't make it happen. But when she came and stood in front of me, one of the most clearest visions I've ever seen, I saw like watching the television. So when she stood in front of me, I saw a clump of purple grapes, beautiful, luscious grapes. And I saw it like, like this angle, top here, kind of angle. And I saw a pair of silver scissors go right in the middle of it, clip. And I watched the bunch that fell hit the top of a wooden table and roll in every direction off of the table. The next image I saw was her face in her own private prayer closet. I'm still talking about prayer. And I saw her praying, and I heard her praying in this vision. And she was crying, and tears were running down her face. And she said, she said, God, why? Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Just weeping in her prayer closet. And so at that point, the vision visually ends for me, but I'm hearing God. God said, tell her this. God said to tell you, sister, that the reason this has happened. And I, and I, and I told her what I saw as I was seeing it. I said, I see a clump of grapes. I see some silver scissors. I see those grapes get cut in half and fall to the floor, and they roll in every direction off the table. But the Lord says, when you're crying and saying, why, tell her this, that this is the reason why, so that I may bring forth more grapes, bigger grapes, and better grapes, says the Lord. That's what I said. I have no idea what I'm talking about. That's just what I said. She's weeping profusely. Her husband's weeping, standing behind her. Every hair at your body's at attention to the Holy Ghost in there. There's a manifest presence of the Lord's presence so strong. And so at the end of the service that night, I prayed for other people. The pastor of that man came up and said, he said, listen, I'm pastoring in this town between here and where you live. You still got to go, but you still live in, 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 in that county? And I said, yeah. He said, well, you got to go through my county to get home. So he said, I need you to come to my house tonight, please. Please come to my house tonight to the to the parsonage. He said, I'm pastoring a church in this town, and i got to talk to you tonight. That's unusual. That's kind of unusual. So I said, okay. I don't even got cell phones in those days. I don't. He called Jim Tucker. And so I, I go to this guy's house, and when I walk in, he says, and he's still crying, him and his wife. He says, Brother Dale, you, got no, you, you don't have no idea what God did tonight. And I didn't. He said, sit down. I want to tell you what happened. He said, I got sent to this church, and I wasn't supposed to be the pastor of this church. I was supposed to be a pastor, pastor of another church, and another. he told me the church, and I know the church because I preached in it. In a lot larger church, more people, bigger city. But he said right before, the, he said the, the overseer had already told me that I was going to that church, but those people found out at that church that I had been married and divorced before. And, you know, and they said that he had two living wives, and that we don't want no preacher that's gone through nothing. So they didn't want him, so they told the overseer, you better not send that man, because we found out he's been married and divorced. All this even before he met the Lord, but they still didn't want him. What, what a mess. Still goes on now. So 
he, uh, he, uh, he's hurt by that. So he goes to this church, and they moved that guy from that church to where he was supposed to go. So he moved to this place, and, and it, it, was, it was a lesser appointment as far as the denomination, I guess, was concerned. And so he had rocked on there a year or so or more or whatever, been, been several years, trying to make a go of it. You can imagine he's kind of a wounded leader. But then he said, he said, you know, just a few, couple, two Sundays ago, a woman stood up while I was preaching on Sunday morning and, and challenged me, is what he said, in front of the whole congregation. He said, he said and, and people, he said, half of the church got up and walked out behind her when she walked out. And he was just weeping. He said, Brother Dale, people walked out behind that woman that I thought would have given their life for me. But they left me just that quick. And he said, I lost half the church. And he said, I'd already told the overseer that he needs to move me to another place. You know, I'm, I'm fried here. I'm done here. And he said, you know, churches, we lost half everybody. And uh, so he said, that's why we were in your meeting. We just had to hear a word for God, from God. Mixed their prayer with faith, just like the other woman. So now he's sitting in this meeting listening to somebody that I'd be a lesser rank than him, sure less experienced, and never had pastored, and here he is sitting in my meeting. But God met him at his point of faith and his wife, and he ministered to him prophetically. And so he says, I want you to come and preach a revival as quick as you can get here. So I looked in my little appointment book, you know, and I scheduled a meeting. I went to that revival, and when I walked into that church, and my wife was with me, she'd remember this. Did we start there Sunday morning or Sunday night? You remember? So probably Sunday night in those days. But, when, but this is what he said. He went to the pulpit, and he said, the prophet of God is here this morning. I was looking around and said, who walked in? <laughs> because I didn't believe in prophets back then. I didn't understand that terminology. But I'm just telling you what he said. He said, the prophet of God is here this morning. He said, we're going to begin this week of revival. Glory to God, we've got we to have... You know, Brother Dale, whatever. I'm going to tell you all, when I took that pulpit, it's like every light in the realm of the Spirit come on. And I saw and heard things in the realm of the Spirit. been the greatest revival I've ever been involved in as far as signs, wonders, and miracles that week. Those angels that helped me. I remember standing one night and God, I heard the Lord say, pray for this teenager. His name is this. I said, this is a teenager. And, and, they, and I said, his name is this. And, and I want to pray for him right now. And the church started looking around. And uh, I said, is he in here? And they said, no. And his mama was stood up. She said, he's in the youth building. And she said, I'm going to get him. <laughs> and she took off and went and got him, brought him back in there. The power of God was just so strong upon him. I remember preaching from the pulpit one night and looking out on this side, three or four pews back, and I saw a man there. The Lord illuminated. And I said, sir, God loves you so much. And God shows me that you've played and you've been a minstrel and a worshiper and a leader in the house of the Lord. But you're far away from that now. But the Lord says he loves you just the same. And God's restoring everything the enemy has ever stolen from. And the people just were just going wild in the church because that was a backslid, what they considered backslid musician, worship leader. And everybody knew him. And he got up and walked to the altar that night just weeping and praising. And, and miracles happened. Healings happened. And I didn't know why. I thought back in those days, as dumb as I was, I thought I'd broken through to a new level. I thought I had a greater anointing come upon me. Do you know what it was? It was grace. And it was the people's faith reaching up and freely appropriating at that season what grace had already provided for them. I remember the pastor actually kind of almost begged me to continue the revival on. 
And I thought, well, I'm already scheduled. I need to go on. And I thought we was going to be doing the same thing at that next week. Brother Gene, I went to that next church. He was dead as a wedge. I couldn't even get nobody to say hallelujah in there. And I just went into depression over it, really. Even when I went and stayed, the pastor said, I want you back here one year from today. He said, go and put me in the book. I want you back one year. So I scheduled it, you know, one year from then. Now listen to me. I'm, I'm not exaggerating nothing. I know I'm, I'm finna close. I'm not exaggerating anything. Listen, ending this thing on prayer. In one year, and these, you, you men and women know what it takes to get something done like this. But in one year, just a few Sundays after I left that revival, let me say this. Remember, he lost half his church. God said, anytime you see silver, it means redemption. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of, he was redeeming us. Redemption, I don't have time to explain. I've looked out before, even in this church one time, and I've seen, sometimes the Lord let me see this, and I'll see a silver band around somebody's mind, around their head. A silver band. And I pray for them every time I see it, because God's delivering in their mind. There's, there's being deliverance, sometimes because of, of the disease or some mental injury or a stroke or something like that, but I've seen that over and over. Sometimes it's just depression. And so he said just a few weeks after I left, because he called me, he looked, the back doors opened to the church, and over 100 brand-new people that he had never seen nor met walked into his church. More walked in than he had sitting in the pews and, and just filled the church up. And he didn't know where they come from or what, you know, eventually he would, would learn. When I went back one year later, exactly, I walked into a brand new sanctuary, totally brand new sanctuary, three times as large as the one that I had preached in 12 months earlier, filled with people. I remember sitting on the, the rostrum, as they call it, by the pastor, because they were still doing some of that kind of deal. But I remember sitting up there, and a guy stood up in, on this side in the pew with a tambourine and stood his feet up in the pew, which I thought, well, I don't know about that. And he was beating that tambourine. And I was like, man, I don't normally see this in the church of God. What the, what's going on here? And so I, I said to the pastor, I said, what's that guy doing? He said, man, that's a, that's a, that's a doctor. That's a medical doctor. Let him get his prayer. You know, he was just praising God. He was part of that charismatic bunch that had come in there and changed the atmosphere and the dynamics of that church. And I walked into a whole different house. And from that day to the years, many, many years later, till that man left that city, I preached for that man every year. Even when I left the denomination and everybody turned their back on me like I had leprosy and was dead. But that man always had me, didn't he? And I preached his homecoming every year until he moved out of that city. And I carried my praise team and I carried my drama team and we preached the gospel there. Because a pastor and his wife decided not to sit home and grumble and feel sorry for themselves but they decided to walk with legs of faith mixed with their prayer and position themselves where God could respond to their faith that they were responding to him with. Come on, give God praise as you stand to your feet. Now listen. God is no respecter of person. And what he did for those, that woman, I don't care if you're here with been told you got breast cancer, you got a tumor, then it leaves you today if you'll just receive what Jesus accomplished 2,000 years ago. If you're sitting here and, and, and it's economics, it's, it's job, it doesn't matter what it is. You're saying, I got to go somewhere else. No, I'm not saying. If you go somewhere else, God's, God's wanting you to respond with your faith in his goodness.
God loves you. He wants you healed more than you want to be healed. He wants your loved ones saved more than you want them saved. He wants your business successful and fruitful more than you want it to be that way. For those of us been saved, we've all been delivered. Stop praying for deliverance. But let the revelation come of the knowledge of God. Let the light come in the dark places. Receive that revelation. Yeah, God called you out of the world, but he brought you into something greater. It's called marvelous light. Marvelous revelation. Because his son's marvelous. That's who he's put you in. Come on now. Thank y'all for letting me veer off course. Didn't even use none of the stuff I sent them. But I felt like I obeyed the Lord this morning in telling you. And so as we move from this subject every Sunday, we'll never move from the subject of prayer. God loves you. Keep praying. Keep believing. Stand in faith. Having done all to stand, then just stand there. Devil can't move you. Because you're not standing in your strength. You're standing in his victory. You're just occupying till he comes. I'm going to occupy this space. Tell the devil I ain't moving. I'm not moving off the revelation by his traps I'm healed. I'm not moving off that God is the provider of all of my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ. I'm not moving off of that revelation. I'm not moving that, that God, I'm not listening to you tell me God's not good. God is a good God. I'm not moving off that revelation. You're not going to get me to falsely accuse God. I'm going to stand in that. What you going to do besides that? I'm going to stand. Just going to stand. I'm standing on his word. Standing on his promises. Standing on Jesus. Amen. Ministry team, come. I'm going to dismiss the church in just a moment. Man, you want to move them legs with faith like some of those people did and come down for prayer today? It ain't like today's your day. Every day is the day of salvation. Today is the day. The day is the day for you because Jesus has already paid the price for you. If you want any prayer for any reason, would you move out from where you are right now and come on down here? You could pray for anything. I don't know. But, man, I feel there's been testimonies given today. Things have come. God bless y'all. Just come on down here. Move out from where you are. I don't care if this is your first Sunday ever being here. In Christ Jesus, we love you. We're not trying to recruit you. We're not trying to proselyte you if you're a part of another ministry or church. But we're saying we love you. We want to pray with you. We want to agree that you receive everything that grace has provided through faith in Jesus. Come on. Anybody else want to get in on this? Come on. All you got to do is just move them legs like this. They'll work. Come on. Just walk out from where you are and come. Come and receive freely. That's what Mima was saying. Freely I receive, freely give. That's what the Word says. Freely receive. God bless you. All right? Just keep coming. My goodness. I love to see people walking out their faith in God. God bless you, darling. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? I don't want to rush nothing, but if you want to come for prayer. Hey, if there's more of you come, I got leaders, elders that will come. God bless you guys. We love you. Just keep, keep coming. If you want prayer for any reason, any reason. You might see somebody down here that's your family, your kin, your, you know, that you want to help pray with. You come on too. It's okay. It's all right. That's right. Amen. Come pray with your brother. Anybody else? I just want to give you plenty of time to. Could, before I dismiss you guys, could you just, in Jesus' love, stretch your hand towards these people and just 
declare that everything they need's already been provided, but that they would receive today that that they came for in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for what grace has provided for these people that you have set down because you've provided every victory they would ever need. I thank you, Lord God. I thank you, Lord, for providing and releasing everything that they're asking from you today. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. I love you, church. God bless you guys. You don't have to leave, but you're free to.